Hi, this is Steve. And this is Lisa. And we're coming at you from our studio in Washington, D.C. Yeah, it's been a while since we recorded here. Yes, it has been some time. Mm -hmm. Some time. It's great to be back, though. It is. Great to be back in our nation's capital. Indeed. Uh, Baltimore's cooler, but... Baltimore's cooler, for DC sure. DC will always have a special place in my heart. It's true. Mm-hmm. DC is my technical home. It is. Baltimore is like my my new home. Yeah, I do miss it because we've also been gone from Baltimore too. Yes, we haven't been in Baltimore in quite some time, and now we're yeah. missing Baltimore. Our lives are hard. Life's tough, Lise. <laughs> uh, speaking of our lives being tough, we'd like to apologize again for such a long gap in between our podcasts, especially when it was a two-parter. Um, Interestingly enough, we are in Fez. We are on a vacation with our dear friends Kevin and Cass. Um, we are in Fez in the Granada, and our plan was to do live podcast about Fez or Granada, where we were. But we were vacationing, so it's like, who gives a damn about a podcast? Yeah, once you're there, like in your head, you're like, yeah, we'll totally throw in a pod there. But once you're there, and you know, you've got your nice tagines and uh, a bottle of red wine. You're in your nice Riyadh. Yeah, it's really yeah. just not high on the list. No, it's not, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we got back, and it was 4th of July week, and then we were on our family vacation. Sorry, that was really douchey of us to say. I have to just clarify. Most people probably don't know what tagines or Riyadhs are, considering we didn't know what a tagine was until we got there. Yeah, or a Riyadh. Yeah, well, yeah, and I kind of knew, but but yeah, I guess. So, tagine is the type of food that they eat in Morocco, and Riyadh's are a really cool style of home with a courtyard courtyard inside. Um, Highly recommend. Sorry, anyways, continue. Hope you remember where you... No, I was, and I was just going to say that another idea we had is that we're going to be with my family at Smith Mountain Lake on our annual family Fourth of July vacation. Yes. And we are going to podcast then about something American and Americana and independence and that sort of thing. <laughs> but, you know, then it was the 4th of freaking July week. And we were at the lake just yeah. chilling with my family. And I got a niece and a nephew that are great to hang out with. And yeah, Similar story. Yeah, yeah. Like, what are we, you know, we're not going to be like, all right, see a family. I'm going to go podcast. Yeah. No. We right? Were, we were just being good family members. Yeah, that's exactly what we we're doing, being good family members. Mm-hmm. All right, so we missed the American Freedom Podcast. I feel like it's gone and done, so I can't go back and do independence. So what I'm going to do instead, Lisa, is a complete 180. You've been doing a lot of 180s and 360s, and I feel like we don't even know where we started or where we're at. <laughs> we're twisting and turning. This one's pretty easy to track. Okay. All right, so we missed the 4th of July, so tonight I'm doing one about communism. Oh, okay. I feel like, we, yeah, 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 we talked about doing this a while ago because I admittedly had not given it too much thought in terms of really how recent it is. Yes, yes, and we'll yeah. talk about that a little bit. Uh, it's also kind of a shout-out to some of our fans. It's, it's Communism or various types of communism has been a big request from a lot of our listeners. Huh. So I've had people that want to know about, like, the Soviet Union and people that want to know about Chinese communism mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I figured we can just talk today about first about just that pure, organic, homegrown communism called Marxism. Okay. Right? It is not what they have in China or what they had in the Soviet Union. It is. This is like the pure, organic. This is the stuff you it's get. It's just theoretical. Yes. It's okay, but when theoretical. you say homegrown, it's confusing. Well, I'm trying yeah. to compare it to like a homegrown, ripe, organic tomato or something. <laughs> Whereas in like what they have in China is like a Monsanto genetically engineered, Monsanto. fake, 
Yeah, Monsanto. Fake tomato. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I just want to be clear. So Marxism is the theory that led to what has taken hold in, in China and Russia and whatnot, but it, it's a pure academic theoretical only, and it's not actually in pure practice today. Yes. Yeah. Social and economic system that we have not seen by any country. Yeah. Okay. But we have seen close to it. Okay. okay. And I just want to clarify. Let's talk about what Karl Marx mm-hmm. actually had in mind when he wrote the Communist Manifesto. Okay. Sorry. Can I stop you? Absolutely. Um, you, I don't know, ladies, have you ever noticed sometimes when like your hairs will just end up on like really funny places on dudes? And my favorite is like when it's dangling from their beard and they just have this like long hair. Anyways, that's what's happening to Steve right now. That's my point. So, so I'm just like going to pull this Men. off. <laughs> it was my Ho Chi Minh beard yeah. for talking about communism. Yeah. Oh, it's funny. It's a Vietnam reference, not <laughs> China, just to be... Just to clarify. Um, so, yeah, you ready to get into it, Liz? I am, and we're starting with, um, I just want to wrap it up since I kind of derailed us, with the what led Marx to write his manifesto? Is that what you're saying? No, no. We're going to start just basically by def- talking about the Communist Manifesto. Because okay. communism is this really unique thing where, um, you know, government systems usually evolve and do a thing, whereas Karl Marx basically wrote the Communist Manifesto and basically in I don't want to use the phrase invented a governmental system. There were communists, like members of political parties that consider themselves communists. But the Communist Manifesto is like, this is it. This is what we look back to on what communism should be. Okay? So it's a really interesting concept. Yep. You look confused like I'm confused. What's the problem here? What's going on? No, no never mind. Okay. Go ahead. All right. Now, the other thing I want to be totally clear about is for our more uh, patriotic American uh, listeners, particularly the older ones, maybe the ones that remember the Cold War and stuff, I want to ask you to have an open mind when we're talking about this, because we know now, with 2020 hindsight, that communism doesn't really work. Well, at least the whatever forms they did. Right. Uh, It doesn't work great, um, but... Considering what was happening at the time and where Karl Marx and his partner Friedrich Engels were coming from, where the working class people were in a really shitty situation because of this whole new uh, industrial revolution thing, uh, you know, it's hard to blame them once you start hearing what Marx is talking about. So have an open mind and keep in mind that this is in 1848. So the Communist Manifesto is a manifesto told in four parts, okay? Four parts. Four parts. Part one, part two, part three, part four? Sure. Okay. We're going to sum them up. Just like for a visual, like you're just flipping the page and you're on part one. Yeah. It's not like a series of four. No. I'm just trying to picture it in my head. Picture chapters, I guess. Next to a fire. And I have a book. Crackling fire with a bearskin rug. Yeah. Okay. So it's four parts, one book. Yes. Now, the first part is basically history. And the history of the Communist Manifesto, Karl Marx, big historian guy, okay? Uh-huh. He, it's hard to argue with a lot of his points here, okay? Okay. Main point he's going to bring up is that history, all of history, is nothing more than the study of a struggle between classes. No matter how you slice it, whatever these wars are about or these develops of, developments of different economic systems, it also always comes down to the have and the have-nots. Okay? Mm. We don't have to get into this in too much detail, but I think there's a really strong argument for that. 
Yeah, I, I think that there is too, but I think that you can claim that about a lot of things. That everything is about... That there's just something. like a lot of factors that you could attribute to causing all of the world's ills. Okay, that's fair. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, what if men weren't as violent? You, you know, like... Well, he would argue that men behave violently to protect what they have over the oppressed class structure. I don't know. Tell that to a bunch of boys in the backyard, like, whacking each other with stuff. I don't know. It feels very inherent in... Sure. And and it might, and, you know, but he would probably also argue that it is inherent in man to, to try to hoard as much as you have... And if that means to to oppress others to have more, then, I mean, at the end of the day, you can always trace this concept back to class struggle, right? I mean, the Romans dominated the world so they can take more natural resources from all the people around them and uplift Rome at the cost of everyone around them, all right? Name an empire where that wasn't true. Yeah. Sorry, I... I don't want, I don't want to derail us but I mean I just feel like there's so many other arguments to be made within that like I mean even wh- what if it's not about oppressing others what if it's about your own no 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 it's not a desire to oppress others it's this desire to keep you on top and you cannot be on top with any structure of former government leading up to communism unless some of the people are kept down okay okay but, so communism was. But that's be also the big a some view of the world. I, I, don't I, don't know. Know. Sorry. I don't know what that means. Like, what are you talking about? I mean, but but that's implying to be on top that there must be people Absolutely. being oppressed, and I don't. I I think that, but that shows that there's like there's a pie, and only some people can you know like there's a, a finite amount of opportunity for everyone. Yes, and I think that there's people that even argue that. Sure, but the. I mean, Karl Marx is saying that ignore the fucking pie, all right? Like, we can all be equal here. We oh, I know what he's going to eventually say. I was just, yes. I don't even agree with his first premise. Yeah, it's like. All it, I'm saying. Okay. All right. Well, well, maybe we should do a whole nother episode on what wars are really fought over. Yeah, I have plenty of ideas over that. And I don't okay. think it's just, I mean, obviously, you know, resources and gaining territory and whatnot is a huge driver. But, I mean, I just think that they're – to attribute one major thing to all of human struggle is a big statement, and I think there are other valid uh, arguments. Okay. We can move on. Agree to disagree. Sorry. We got we to gotta move on. Okay. But that's Karl Marx regardless of how we feel. He says that all of history is a struggle between classes. The two classes that he believes exist in 1848 or that he identifies – are the haves and the have-nots. The haves he calls the bourgeoisie. Yep. And the proletariat are the have-nots. Yep. Let's unpack what the bourgeoisie is. Because mm-hmm. we have talked about the bourgeoisie in this very podcast before in our first, I think, first two episodes are our French episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, Maximilian Robespierre and Napoleon, yeah. We talk a lot about the bourgeoisie. Do you remember where the bourgeoisie were from? Do we talk about bourgeoisie? Heck yeah, buddy. Um, Where were they from in terms of geography? Sure. Like, what what phrase is that? What language is it? Oh, it's French. Yeah, it's French, and we primarily know where the bourgeoisie was from the French Revolution. Uh, So, are we? The only answer was just the rich French. But they weren't the rich French. 
here is the so the bourgeoisie if you look at it throughout the course of history is a very confusing term yeah because hasn't it also meant the opposite too not the opposite but it meant the middle class so in yeah. france during the revolution the bourgeoisie was considered the middle class they're kind of the heroes of the french revolution because they took down the monarchs and they took down the clergy and they made a more equal society where there's a larger expanded middle class with no royalty so they're like the heroes of the French Revolution, and it means middle class. I really don't think we went over that lesson in that podcast, because I remember everything you teach me. Okay, well, this was a long time ago. Okay. This, uh, okay. this is episode number 23, so that was probably that was over 23 weeks ago, because we missed a couple weeks. So that's okay. that's a long, long time ago. I'm going to have to re-listen, because right. I need, I, uh, otherwise I need to take my, my memory yeah. vitamins. Yeah, what do you remember that? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, this is 23. This is the Jordan episode. We better make it good. Oh, boy. Yeah. Now, the bourgeoisie, according to Karl Marx, has risen out of the ashes of the end of feudalism. All right, so the French Revolution destroyed feudalism in Europe. All right, that's part of the reason that the French Revolution is such a big deal. It kind of marks the end of feudalism and then ends to the modern era where we now have era. class structures. Yeah, era. Era? Era. Yeah. Era. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. But now the bourgeoisie mm-hmm. has gotten greedy. And out of the ashes of feudalism, they came and they took and created this industrial world where they got greedier and greedier and greedier, and they have all of the stuff. Wait, is that why there's two different conflicting... Absolutely. Whoa, that's kind of crazy. Absolutely. (laughs) So according to Karl Marx, the bourgeoisie is no longer the middle class. They're the haves. They're the people that Mm. have all the stuff. He calls the stuff the means of productions. They're the owners and the managers of factories and lands and housing. Yeah. Okay? This is where we get the term bougie from. Yes. Right? Because you, Oh, you bougie because you like fancy yes, shit. Yes, I knew that part of the bougie. Right? Yeah. That, that bougie comes like – that slang term comes from this bourgeoisie, the Karl Marx bourgeoisie, the people that have all the fancy shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right? Now, the proletariat mm-hmm. – are the people who are the laborers and the workers who don't own a damn thing. Right. Okay? They're the have-nots. All right? And Karl Marx argues that the working class, as part of the Industrial Revolution and the development of capitalism and this greed and desire to make more money, Mm -hmm. the working class has become nothing more than an appendage of machinery. They don't own anything. They have no power and they have no privilege they're an extension of machinery that works for the bourgeoisie all day and all night and they go home and they pay their wages to the bourgeoisie landlords who own the property that they live in and they have nothing <laughs> you could you could be his subsidiary subsidiary campaign manager yeah Why hell yeah i say dude. subsidiary i'm about to like start the communist revolution in america um Bernie Sanders is a pussy. Let's become communists. <laughs> Did I say Barry Sanders? I don't know. I should have said Bernie Sanders. I was Sanders. laughing, snorting. Yeah. You know when you snort loud, you can't hear yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, So I am, I am with the part where they they describe the worker as just an extension of the machinery. I feel that absolutely is how I, I, I honestly how I feel about some of these uh, the current. Right. Industries. And this is what I was kind of 
saying at the beginning of talking about part one is that his history is really not off. It's hard to argue against. In capitalist societies, by definition, there are people who have the freaking world and there are people that don't have shit. And this yeah. is all to simplify part one of the communist manifesto is that there is all these people that have everything. Mm-hmm. They're a tiny minority of the people. And then the masses have nothing. They work all day and all night and then they die with no chance of real upward movement or anything. And I think it's really hard to argue that. Yeah, I mean, that part of it, yes, it is hard to argue that. See, you're already being biased. I told you to have an open mind. I can tell that you you don't want to give Karl Marx an inch. I can see it on your face. Oh, no, no, but I really, do. Maybe this part no, of no, it. No, 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 no. Do you want me to be fully honest? Of course I want you to be fully honest. <laughs> this is a pod. This is what I would say about. when I was younger... And I questioned very little about being a liberal, if I'm being fully honest. I didn't question it. I was convinced that everything on the liberal platform made 100% sense and there was nothing I would ever want to be more moderate or even more la- – I don't know. I just – I didn't question it. You know, obviously with recent events, I've paid much more attention and I've really challenged myself – to look on both sides and really see truly what can fix an issue, right? Not what is either side of the rhetoric. Um, and so I'm almost fighting my own instincts because, at you know, my young, you know, heart is like, yeah, like that makes so much sense. And I'm like, I'm trying to force myself to be critical. Okay. But I well, guess that's what everyone critical else. Yet. That was And, and I was never a communist, program. by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I should clarify. Yeah. But, you know, it's like, you know, those principles are obviously related. It's on the same side of the spectrum. Sure. And, and this isn't even the part to get critical of communism. Again, this is just historic background. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's get to part two because part two is really the most important by far of the four parts. Okay. Okay. So part one is just sort of background. Mm-hmm. Part two is him describing how the communist revolution is actually going to happen and how it should happen. And it's really the only way that you can see pure communist happen. Are you ready for this, Lisa? This is all very important. So you have to listen. This is his like – Opera, opera, oh my god, operationalization. Oper- yeah, sure. You know, you're supposed to be the one who can talk. I know, but we, as we've discovered, I have like a couple of random words that I'll have to sit and, and it'll only happen once before. But what was that one word I forgot how to say and then I learned it? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. No, I think this is good for the momentum of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. Now, so basically, I'm going to summarize part two, and then I'm going to give you the distinct breakdown of communism, okay? okay? So generally speaking, what's going to happen is communists, members of the Communist Party, are going to unite the proletariat, the majority of the laborers, right? And together, they are going to overthrow the bourgeoisie, and they are going to seize the means of production, all right? Mm-hmm. Labor will now exist to benefit laborers, Okay. Rather than to benefit the owners and the managers while the proletariat has no real meaningful life. And does he promote the use of force in this plan? Yeah. I mean, there's really no other way to convince people to give up power. You have to take it from them. I don't know. If, they, if they're your machines well, there's an and they don't do their job. It is, there's an interesting... Thing that comes up later that we're going to talk about, which that question is very relative to. Now, I do think he also makes another good point where he says that, like, a big pushback communists were getting was, like, how can you take away the people's right to own things, right? Which, as Americans, we're like, yeah, that's total BS. 
like ownership's big in our culture, right? Mm-hmm. But his argument is that nine out of ten people in this modern society of Europe and the United States and the industrializing world, mm-hmm. nine out of ten people already have no shot at owning anything. Nine out of ten? Yeah, that that was his back argument. Then. Maybe yeah. back then. Again, things aren't now. This is 1848, and the Industrial Revolution is brand new. Mm-hmm. So people are using family money to buy all build factories that are then creating mass amounts of wealth for the, for the p- families who already had a bunch of money. And there's so a these few were like hyper-investments. Yeah, and there's few people that had upward momentum and stuff like that. But generally speaking, if you were a laborer, you had no chance at all at owning a land or owning a business. And so they rented houses? Of course. You rent houses or lived in a shanty town or whatever. But you had no chance of having the... T- 90% didn't, have, didn't own their homes? <sighs> no, so, you're so. taking this way too literally, Lisa. <laughs> this is just a dude writing a theoretical <laughs> manifesto. Well, if this is the part where he lays out the specifics, I think he should just have a little bit more detail. All right. Um, anyway, so... Okay, so he says that they should rise up, probably using violence, seize yes. the means of production... yes. And then make it so kind of like a co-op, essentially, right? You're all working in a factory to like have that percentage share of the overall. Absolutely, I think a co-op is a great way of looking at communism. However, you made a big mistake there by throwing in the word profits. There is no profits in communism. Things do not operate by making profits. You have a shirt factory to make sure everyone has a shirt. You have a bakery to make sure everyone has bread. Right. There's no currency here. Right. Yikes. Okay. Now, we're not done yet. Okay. That is not pure communism. Okay. Mm-hmm. What then needs to happen is there needs to be a transitional phase where the state, capital S, right, is going to have everything. The state will control the production. The state will control the farms and the factories. Okay, Mm -hmm. and he will. He admits this phrase. It'll be a phase of having what is essentially a a phase, a phase, a phase of having what is essentially the dictatorship of the state. Okay, so the state of China or the state of the Soviet Union will own and redistribute all of the goods being produced, all of the food being farmed. Okay, we're not done yet. Then, eventually with time, because all communists took over, right, Mm -hmm. the state will dissolve and wither away. (laughs) And there will be no state, there will be no leadership, there will be no class distinctions. It will just be all people having the means of production, creating shirts for people who need shirts, and creating bread for people who need bread. Is there a police... Uh, force in this scenario? That's a great question. It's a detail that I am not prepared to give an accurate answer for. But mm-hmm. from the sounds of this, it's very utopian. And I think there would be no need for a police force because you can make that argument that crime happens out of necessity. Mm-hmm. So if everyone has everything they need to live and survive, there are no poor people committing crimes. And there are no you know, white-collar crimes of people ripping each other off because they don't have all the means in production to do so. I didn't... I, I had to... I didn't realize how extreme it was in the sense that there was truly an expectation that the government would 
be able to cease to exist. Absolutely. So real communism, it's like you're living in a commune. There's actually a commune in the state of Virginia that has a huge waiting list to get into. Yes, they actually, don't now currency. that I think about that. Yeah, yeah, It's like all those, like, you know, yogi to the max type places, right? It is and it isn't. I mean, I don't even think you have to go that far. This is just a place where people ironically have to pay to get into it. <laughs> but once they're into it, they're given jobs and they sell, um, like, honey, like real honey and stuff that they make in the commune. But within the commune itself... There is no money. There is no money. Everyone works. Everyone eats the same. Everyone sleeps in similar accommodations. And there is a huge, huge waiting list to get into this commune. Huh. Yeah, well, those can definitely exist if they are, like, can just create a bubble to, like, the capitalist society that provides all the affordable beds and all that jazz. Right. Um, Excuse me while I open this Pacifica. <laughs> Oh, man. Now, Lisa, I would like to summarize what I just said. Okay. So it's like a double summary. Okay. Okay? So, to create a pure communist state, here's what needs to happen. You must start with an industrialized, bourgeoisie-dominated society. That must be the start. Okay. Okay? You can't just make this shit out of nowhere. Okay. So okay, so people are if people are living in a more equitable terms. You can't do that. It needs to be no. A power his imbalance. argument is no. It has to be started by these people who understand the evils of class distinctions. Well, that is true because I I don't know if you're going to touch upon this later, but it's so hard for me not to think of the actual examples of communism now and compare. But as I was really surprised to learn through our podcast in the past, both Russia and China got to the places they got with communism because of how bad things had gotten in the country. And so it is that kind of one of those, that rule that he's talking about, that people have to see how bad it is when there's a huge imbalance of power to want a system like that. Oh, absolutely. I think that's 100% accurate. And that's kind of what I was trying to say at the beginning, where it's like, you need to keep an open mind and try to think about where these people were coming from, because things were really tough for the working class in these early industrialized societies. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, you start with there, your bourgeoisie-dominated industrialized society, all right? Step number two is that the communists are going to unite the proletariat, all right? It's going to start with the members of the Communist Party, all right? Number three, the proletariat is going to rise up and seize the means of production from the bourgeoisie. Number four, the means of production will be taken over by the state and we will live in a temporary phase that is the dictatorship of the state and then five finally the state dissolves itself and there will be no more ownership only the community and that is that pure sweet organic homegrown communism that's the only way it happens and that's what it looks like lisa where did these countries that claim they're communists where does it never happen Right. So we've had these countries that have made it pretty far down that path, but then they miss a step. Yeah. Can you figure out what I'm getting at? Uh, yeah, I can. Uh, they miss the step of the, ev the government dissolving. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. The Soviet Union, you know, the Bolsheviks and Lenin, they start the coming. They win the revolution. They take it over from the czar. Uh, you know, they collectivize everything, but the state never withers away. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny how that happens. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then all of a sudden you have state with all of the power. Mm -hmm. All of it. 
Right. And that's why you hear the phrase communist dictatorship so much. Yes. And like especially people like point to North Korea, which is a clear dictatorship and it claims to be communist, is because the state never goes away. The state takes over everything. Mm-hmm. There's a class distinction there between the people who are members of the state and they have better lives than all the people who are the laborers. Yes. So we still don't really know what it would look like to have the state dissolve away in a proper communist country. I That's think, some real Hobbesian shit, you know? Like, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Because once these workers take control of the state, they can't give it up. For sure. For sure. But, like, there's always a leader of a revolution like that. And it's kind of like chicken and egg thing, right? Did the leader think that that was a good ideology to get everyone to do their his bidding and then know f- that he was going to have all that power? I mean... But because those people that were in charge of those countries are freaking nasty people, did terrible, terrible things to their own population. So, oh. I mean, especially Mao in China. We're gonna have to do an episode on Mao for sure. I mean, I don't. Yeah, but Stalin too. I mean, oh, both. Stalin was awful. They yeah, both. Yeah. You're, right. You're right. I mean, there's no reason. They to, were just or, yeah, Pol Pot was also a communist dictator. Yeah, he was killed a lot of people yeah. in the name of that. Um, ugh, people are terrible. Um, yes, I think. Uh, yeah, there's the whole element of power corrupting absolutely. And I also think, and this is probably somewhat related, but and maybe it's just because I read a book on this, so I'm being heavily skewed by it. But um, I don't really think that those utopias that, that they describe in the Marxist book, I don't think that that exists. I think that there's, I think that people aren't really capable of that. Um, and and not to say, like, I don't, I have a very positive outlook on the future, and I think that we can get to a place in society that is quite good, you know, if we could, you know, be, all be kind to one another. But um, I just don't think that people are that um, – I think they have a natural ambition. I think that they have a, a natural desire for variety and for growth, and I think that in of itself – you can't have a system where everyone's just meeting their bare minimum, right? And that's the only way they can really do it to, like, make it work. And it's just – I just don't think that that's the human nature. That is an excellent point. You're way ahead of me here, Lisa, because that's actually a large part of what part three is about. Okay, okay. So let's move on to part three. Okay. Part two, we got to the – part three. So what he does in part three is he does two different things. He takes down critiques of communism. One of them is what you very just mentioned. Yeah. What you basically described is art and culture. People mm. want different things. They want varieties. They want to look at things. He argues that all that shit, culture, art, all that is is a representation of the higher class. Okay. Well, I want to get to that in a second. But I also just want to say that's an element of it. But I also think humans just themselves like to grow and evolve and build things and, you know, work towards something better. And, again, there's no room for that. But but maybe the – But you're thinking it. like a bourgeoisie. That's – that, that, that is kind of what we're talking about the same thing. <laughs> Growing and learning and all this shit and having more than just the bare minimum, that's what you think when you're a dirty bourgeois capitalist. Okay, I start from the Marx perspective. Yes. Got it. So, like, I have the luxury to, like, yes. imagine a, a, a new improved me while these other people are working just to live. Yes. And, yes. Okay. Yes. So, the, but, but of course that's not exactly yeah. how society has to be, but yeah, right. that's his but argument. That's the Marxist and he's argument. saying it in a place where it is like that. So people can easily buy into the fact that that is, it's either this or his version. Right. Yeah. Okay. Huh. Okay. The other thing he does in part three. Yes. And sorry, wait, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the arts and culture. Okay, go ahead. Uh, well, just more, I just was looking forward to you elaborating on, so basically because they would not serve a 
crucial function, people wouldn't undertake art, and then that would die. And what's his argument against that? His argument is sort of... It's not necessarily like he's anti-art and wants to get rid of it. But he does... He's very clear that it's like... It's an, it's it's leisure, right? Art exists when people have time to sit around making art. You can't... You know, you, you got to feed yourself first. You got to put a roof over your head first. And then you can make art in your spare time. So he kind of sees the arts and the cultures as being bushy. Which, again... It is. Art exists in wealthy neighborhoods. I don't, I disagree. I disagree. I think that maybe like really expensive art exists in nice neighborhoods. But I mean, there's so much street art that's, you know, there's certainly goes in, in all wealth strata in different neighborhoods. And I think, and I don't want to sound insensitive at all here, but it has been my experience that you know, often song and expression is a huge part of impoverished culture. So it's an excellent point. I don't know. I just, I, I, sorry, I'm supposed to be more open-minded towards him, but I'm just, no, but that is a fair point. And I think there's, I I think there's a lot to be said there. Yeah. I I think he's truly denying the essence of the human soul. Is that really dramatic between the art and like ignoring the fact that people don't want to have perspective, Personal growth? Yeah, well, let's not... What you're talking about is also, like, a very minor part of communism. It's not his main point. Yeah, fine, so but... don't get too but, caught up on this part of it. But this was a critique, and he didn't... I don't think did it did not do a good job. Okay. You know, you can't, you can't have a soulless zombie nation. People don't... Okay. They're not happy. But you also have to, again, put yourself in the time frame. Right. And for years right. in, in Europe, for centuries and centuries... Art was, like, largely controlled by, like, the Catholic Church, who had everything. Yep. Okay. Yes. So it's yes, a little bit different. the Vatican different. then would definitely indicate that. Right. The other part he did was he kind of took down socialism, as in, like, yes, socialism and communism are irrestricably tied together and pretty similar. Inextricably, yep. Yeah, that's what I said. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he uh, basically states that socialism is not going far enough. Hmm. Okay, socialism is just sort of a minor economic change to redistribute wealth better than capitalism does, whereas Mm -hmm. communism is a full on governmental and economic shift. Yes. Okay. so just by being socialist, he's saying it's like you're you're still clinging on to the bourgeois sort of viewpoint. There's still going to be a class distinction. The distinction will just be smaller. He sounds like a politician to me. He is a politician. He invented a political stance. (laughs) It's different than being a campaigner. That's what I mean. Right. Um, I mean a political figurehead. I... That's oh my god! I it's actually one of my least favorite things that politicians say because it's so overdone, and then the media always repeats it too. Actually, this was bigger a few years ago, but the, the phrase like. But they, they didn't like it because it didn't go far enough. I was just like, oh, my God, shut up. Yeah, and he actually takes it a step further. Um, he was a, He's against social welfare programs, stuff like minimum wage, workers' comp, welfare in general. Because it like, was like placated, the proletariat. Yeah, exactly. It mm-hmm. was like what it did was it gave – it threw the proletariat a bone just so they could have like make their lives a little more tolerable so they would be happier – 
And therefore, it was only empowering the bourgeoisie even further. Huh. This is all part three. Okay? Okay. Um, I want to do part four real quick, and then I want to do um, some ex- an exercise about the difference between socialism and communism. But let's just really quickly, I found part four definitely the least important, but I d- he kind of takes a step back, so I respect it. And in part four, he basically says, look, we can't have this revolution overnight. We need to work as communist party members, work within the party. Even if we have to work with a bunch of bourgeois capitalist pigs, we need to do a good job setting ourselves up for this revolution. We can't just dive headfirst into it right now. Okay. Which is a realistic take. I, I respect this take. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now, let's do an exercise. It's called the two cows exercise, Lisa. <laughs> okay. Have you ever done two cows exercise with government and economic systems? Not to my knowledge. All right. I knew about these two cow systems in high school, and I wish my high school teachers taught me. I knew from, like, I don't know, someone on TV or something like that. Hmm. And I was like, I wish someone taught me that shit. So when I became a history teacher, I always used two cows. They're great ways of explaining this shit. Cool. Okay, you ready? So we all are familiar with capitalism, so I'm going to start with the two cow system for capitalism as just, like, a base. Okay. All right, so... You have two cows. Uh-huh. You sell the milk from the cows to your neighbors. You make a profit. You make enough profits. You buy a bull. You breed more cows. You build a pre-empire. You get rich. Mm-hmm. That's the basis of capitalism. Mm-hmm. All right? Let's do another one. Socialism. Mm-hmm. You have two cows. Mm-hmm. The government takes one of your cows and gives it to your neighbors who had zero. And now you're both... Have one cow is a redistribution of wealth. That seems like an extreme take, but yeah. Oh, for God's sakes, Lisa! Don't. This is a. This is an exercise. Okay, okay. I'm just so saying. You're, you're, t- you're being very you're literal tonight. You're losing half your stock. <laughs> but that's what it's about. It's about capitalism is about equality of opportunity, where socialism was about pure equality of resources. So if there's okay. only two neighbors and one has two cows and one has zero, boop. Cows getting snatched up. Yeah. All right. Communism is the state takes both of your cows and gives you and your neighbors milk when it's needed. However, I don't like this definition for this because it stops before pure Marxism, right? You see what I'm saying? This is when the government is still involved. This is still when there's a state dictatorship. They're not talking about the final step, which is the withering of way. So all they have to do is say, the government takes two of your cows, then you fast forward 50 years, and then everyone has access to milk <laughs> with no intervention. <laughs> right? Yes. That is a, There's your story. That's a great way of putting it. Yes. <laughs> uh, if you really wanted to do pure Marxism in theory, is that there would have to be something along the lines of, you have two cows, but they're not just your cows. They belong to the community, and the community uses them for milk when they need milk. Yeah, also true. I had very u- utopian sound. Yes. Yeah. Right, pure Marxist. Yeah, you just, and cows just grow out of flowers, and it's just beautiful. Yeah, right. <laughs> There's rainbows coming out their asses and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Utopia. Um, before we sign off, Lisa? Oh, we're already done? 
I feel like we've been talking a while. I know. I was just getting into it, though. I thought we had, for some reason, I thought we had a lot more to dig into. We're not, we have, we can't get into too much details, but I do want to talk like geopolitics real quick. Okay. So you might enjoy some of this stuff. Okay. All right. Trivia for you, Lisa. Uh Right now, there are four countries that claim to be communists. Only four in the entire world. I believe right now there's 196 uh, UN recognized countries. Uh Uh Could be off. On that, um, of that 196, which four still claim to be communists? So you already gave me one, North Korea. So North Korea is actually a weird case. I'm going to hold off and not count them. You can count them, and many people do count them as the fifth mm-hmm. fully communist country. Uh-huh. But I'm going to bring them up in our next category. So what are the other four? I mean, Russia is still... No, 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 not after the collapse of the Soviet Union. Okay, so you do not count themselves as no, no, communists. No, no, no. Vietnam? Vietnam Viet- claims to be communist. Um, Vietnam's neighbor? Um, Cambodia? No, no it's no. one of like our favorite places we've ever been together because it was Laos, so peaceful. Really? Yeah. Laos? Laos claims to be That's communist. That's really country. surprising to me. Um, one of them is very close to the United States. We're allowed to go there now. Cuba. Duh. Cuba. And then one of them claims to be communists, but they're some of the most aggressive capitalistic people in the world. Huh. Don't overthink this. Oh, China. China. <laughs> right? China. Yeah. Which we know for a fact is not a communist Marxist state. That's what I, because I remember studying in college and he was, had my professor had some like hybrid word for it, but I had assumed they weren't self-identifying as communists anymore. Oh, they still are. Absolutely. Oops. Yep, yep, yep. But it is so crazy because especially internationally, they are so aggressive. You know, they're buying up land all over the place. They're investing in everything. They create so much crap and then they sell it. I mean, it's, there's also a middle class in China. There's rich Chinese people. It's like all a giant fraud at this point. Yeah, I would say the only thing that still resembles communism is the fact that the state has a lot of control. Well, right. And that's what it comes down to is that they are, again, one of those countries that have never made it to the state withering away. They're just the communist revolution happened there in the state state. Yeah, yeah, but also and then chose to undertake these very aggressive capitalistic uh, endeavors. Um, yeah, and that's interesting. So, yeah. what what does Russia call itself? So you got so the Soviet Union was no, the, I know, I know that, I know that it. Yeah. Russia is a capitalist state. Really? Absolutely, they consider themselves to be capitalist. But the, the but their government has so much control. They have an extremely involved government, but they still consider themselves capitalists. Really. I didn't honestly really didn't know and that. And they also have a vastly different culture than us, so their capitalism looks different than ours. Right. Someone explained to me the difference between the biggest difference between the USA and the modern day Russia is that the United States is driven by making more money. Yes. And Russia is driven by proving themselves powerful. Which is ironic because to do that you need to have money. Right. But they care less about making money than America. So it's like a it's something they struggle with, kind of. It's like the Sochi Olympics, remember? Mm-hmm. They saw that as a way of proving how badass they were, but it all just kind of went to hell because they're just not as good at making money as we are. Huh. 
Okay. So they try to do powerful things without the money. Right. And this is kind of what happened during why the, they lost the gold. That's what they imploded. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you got to connect the dots. Connect the dots, Russia. What if the KGB's listening and they figure out all their problems from this podcast? Uh, well, then I apologize. <laughs> we should go to jail for treason. <laughs> Just kidding. We have nothing to offer you. <laughs> um, okay, cool. Well, that was really interesting. I'm not done. And enlightening. Okay, good, more good. More geopolitics. More, more, more. More geopolitics, okay? So there are other countries that have um, a mention of being socialist in their constitution Within their constitution, they're all about socialist values. So it's a different, it's like a step back from being like claiming you're communist. So there's okay. a lot of countries that still do this. Yeah. And I wanted to talk about a few of them. I would have I would have totally guessed that was China. That sounded so It Chinese. does sound a lot more like China. Okay, but anyway. Like China sorry. is so it's just strange. Okay. But so so North Korea North is... Korea falls into this category. The other reason that people don't technically include them as a communist country is because technically uh-huh. Technically, Korea is still one country. There's just a peace agreement right now that the right. civil war is over. Right, I actually did. And South Korea is capitalistic as shit. Oh, yeah. Um, so you can't really claim Korea as a communist country. But yes, North Korea is one that claims that they are still socialists. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the Indian subcontinent, excluding Pakistan, okay, yeah. claims they are socialists and have elements of socialism. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay, so you're looking at India, Sri Lanka, Nepal. Right. Right. Uh, they all claim to be. And another one I found very interesting because it is the only European country that claims this, which is Portugal. Portugal has socialist values written into their constitution. It's the only westernized country <laughs> that showed up there. Interesting. Um, and now you can even take it further. All right, There's lots and lots of countries that are full-on democracies. However, they have socialist party members that are making up the majority of their, um, representative their, ver- their representative government, so like their version of Congress or Parliament, yeah. including North America's very own Mexico. Huh. Mexico's majority Oh, yeah, they're right in their... Oh, no. Well, their president now is a, po- a left pop- leftist populist. Yeah, he's a leftist populist uh, for sure, which is like shows elements of socialism. Yeah. I should also say that their socialist party is not really necessarily pure socialist, but they're just very, very pro-nationalizing um, like major income grabbers, so like energy supply sources uh, and yeah, stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, sure. Um, so socialism and communism, it's, it doesn't really exist in the way that Marxism talked about, but it is very much playing a role in like geopolitics today and in micropolitics. And again, to mention Bernie Sanders is a self-proclaimed socialist and he's very popular in this country. And we see this country as the most capitalistic country, which it might be, maybe it's at least top 10. Yeah, I wonder how you do define that yeah. or measure that. It, it's say. it's immeasurable, so it's kind of a yeah. stupid thing to say. But you see my point. Yeah, no, no, I, I definitely do. Yeah, it's really, it's quite interesting, and it's also, I think, very. I think everything in human history is a a reaction to the times, right? And so, it's just interesting that you know that Bernie Sanders is so popular right now, um, and just to draw parallels maybe between some of like the growing inequality that we're seeing in this country. Mm-hmm. It's the same kind of, you know, less extreme form of what had led to Marxism as we've learned. So it's just really interesting. Absolutely. Um, I mean, this country itself, I mean, it's, it's not surprising 
that there is a popular socialist poll with, I mean, how much of the overall value the 1% have is like a huge difference. There is. It's staggering. Yeah. And as long as it keeps growing, you're going to see people like Bernie getting more power. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We need to figure out a good solution. Right. Well, we accidentally got a little political today. We did. But we were talking about communism, so it was almost impossible. It is so impossible. You know, if you're mad at us, then screw you. No, no. Be our friend. It's fine. Sorry. Yeah. Don't be mad at us. (laughs) Just keep listening to our pod. (laughs) Is there anything else you want to talk about? What was your favorite part about Morocco? Go. Oh, boy. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I have to say the the Sahara Desert being out there in the middle of the night watching the moon rise over, like, sand dunes with, like, the entire Milky Way in, like, such clear focus. Uh, it was incredible. Yeah, yeah, that was really, really cool. Ironically, something that... We can do because we're pretty hardcore capitalists ourselves. Yeah, we are. Well, we benefit from it. <laughs> yeah. We, benefit. we basically, our entire business is based off of ownership of land. There it is. So, like, we're like the bourgeoisie, according to Marx. He would take us down in a heartbeat. He would, but I would, like, try to take him out for beers first and just be like, listen, bro. Yeah, like, we're cool. We're cool. There's 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 a third way. Yeah, there's other ways, man. There's other ways. There's other ways. friends. Also, like, you should come with us on one of our trips. It's pretty sweet. Yeah, dude, love a <laughs> dope time, Karl Marx. <sighs> All right. Well, I think that's it for now, Elise. Okay. Let's sign off, huh? All right. Let's do it. Uh, my name is Steve, and I was a history teacher. My name is Lisa, and I married him. Hey! Raindrop, drip, drop top, drop top, smoking on cooking the hot box. Cooking, fucking on your bitch, yeah, that, that, that. Cooking up dope in the crock pot, pot. We came from nothing to something, nigga. Hey! I don't try nobody to grit the trigger, nobody. Call up the gang and they come and get gang. Cry me a river, give you a tissue. It's bad and bullshit, bad. Cooking up dope with a oozy. My niggas are savage, ruthless. We got thudders and hunter rounds too. My bitch is bad and bullshit, bad. Cooking up dope with a oozy. My niggas are savage, ruthless. We got thudders and hunter rounds too. Ooh.